0: section six of ellis parker butler short stories volume one this librivox recording is in the public domain that pup part one the education of fluff murchison who lives next door to me wants to get rid of a dog and if you know of anyone who wants a dog i wish you would let murchison know murchison doesn't need it he's tired of dogs anyway that's just like murchison WAY UP IN ENTHUSIASM ONE DAY, AND SICK OF IT THE NEXT. BROWNLEY, BROWNLEY LIVES ON THE OTHER SIDE OF MURCHISON, REMEMBERS WHEN MURCHISON GOT THE DOG. IT WAS THE QUEEREST THING, SO MURCHISON SAYS, YOU EVER HEARD OF. HERE CAME THE EXPRESS WAGON, ADAMS EXPRESS COMPANY'S WAGON, AND DELIVERED THE DOG. THE NAME WAS ALL RIGHT, C.P. MURCHISON, Gallatin, IOWA, AND THE CHARGES WERE PAID. THE CHARGES WERE TWO DOLLARS AND EIGHTY CENTS, AND PAID, AND THE DOG HAD BEEN SHIPPED FROM NEW YORK. THINK OF THAT, TWELVE HUNDRED MILES IN A BOX, WITH A CAN OF CONDENSED MILK TIED TO THE BOX AND PLEASE FEED WRITTEN ON IT. WHEN MURCHISON CAME HOME TO DINNER, THERE WAS THE DOG. AT FIRST, MURCHISON WAS PLEASED. THEN HE WAS SURPRISED. THEN HE WAS WORRIED. HE HADN'T ORDERED A DOG. THE MORE HE THOUGHT ABOUT IT, THE MORE HE WORRIED if i could just think who sent it he said to brownlee then i would know who sent it but i can't think it is evidently a valuable dog i can see that people don't send cheap inferior dogs twelve hundred miles but i can't think who sent it what worries me he said to brownlee another time is who sent it i can't imagine who would send me a dog from new york i know so many people and like as not some influential friend of mine has meant to make me a nice present, and now he is probably mad because I haven't acknowledged it. I'd like to know what he thinks of me about now. It almost worried him sick. Murchison never did care for dogs, but when a man is presented with a valuable dog, all the way from New York, with $2.80 charges paid, he simply has to admire that dog. So Murchison got into the habit of admiring the dog and so did mrs murchison from what they tell me it was rather a nice dog in its infancy for it was only a pup then infant dogs have a habit of becoming pups as near as i could gather from what murchison and mrs murchison told me it was a little fluffy yellow ball with bright eyes and ever-moving tail it was the kind of a dog that bounces around like a rubber ball and eats the evening newspaper and rolls down the porch steps with short little squawks of surprise and lies down on its back with its forelegs legs in the air whenever a bigger dog comes nearer in color it was something like a camel but a little redder where the hair was long and its hair was like beaver fur soft and woolly inside with a few long hairs that were not so soft it was so little and fluffy that mrs murchison called it fluff "'Pretty name for a soft little dog is Fluff. "'If I only knew who sent that dog,' "'Murchison used to say to Brownlee, "'I would like to make some return. "'I'd send him a barrel of my best melons, "'express paid, if it cost me five dollars.' "'Murchison was in the produce business "'and he knew all about melons, "'but not so much about dogs. "'Of course, he could tell a dog from a cat, "'and a few things of that sort. "'But Brownlee was the real dog-man.' brownlee had two irish pointers or setters i forget which they were the black dogs with the long floppy ears i don't know much about dogs myself i hate dogs brownlee knows a great deal about dogs he isn't one of the book-taught sort he knows dogs by instinct as soon as he sees a dog he can make a guess at its breed and out our way that is a pretty good test for gallatin dogs are rather cosmopolitan that is what makes good stock in men. Scotch grandmother, German grandfather on one side, and English grandmother and Swedish grandfather on the other. And I don't see why the same isn't true for dogs. There are a number of dogs in Gallatin that can trace their ancestry through nearly every breed of dog that ever lived, and Brownlee can look at any one of them and immediately guess at its formula. One part Spitz, three parts Greyhound, two parts Collie, and so on i have heard him guess more kinds of dogs than i ever knew existed as soon as he saw murchison's dog he guessed it was a pure-bred shepherd with a trace of eskimo massett who thinks he knows as much about dogs as brownlee does didn't believe it the moment he saw the pup he said it was a pedigree dog half st bernard and half spitz Brownlee and Massette used to sit on Murchison's steps after supper and point out the proofs to each other. They would argue for hours. "'All right, Massette,' Brownlee would say, "'but you can't fool me. i look at that nose. If that isn't a shepherd's nose, I'll eat it. And see that tail? Did you ever see a tail like that on a spitz? That is an Eskimo tail as sure as I am a foot high.' "'Tay old fiddlesticks,' Massette would reply you can't tell anything by a pup's tail look at his ears there is st bernard for you and see his lower jaw isn't that spitz i'll leave it to murchison isn't that lower jaw spitz murchison then all three would tackle the puppy and open its mouth and feel its jaw and the pup would wiggle and squeak and back away opening and shutting its mouth to see if its works had been damaged all right brownlee would say "'But you wait a year or two and you'll see.' About three months later, the pup was as big as an ordinary full-grown dog, and his coat looked like a compromise between a calfskin and one of these hairbrush doormats you use to wipe your feet on in muddy weather. He did not look like the same pup. He was long-limbed and awkward and useless, and homely as a shop-worn fifty-cent yellow plush manicure set. Murchison began to feel that he really didn't need a dog. But Brownlee was as enthusiastic as ever. He would go over to Murchison's fairly oozing dog knowledge. "'I tell you what that dog is,' he would say. "'That dog is a cross between a Great Dane and an English deerhound. "'You've got a very valuable dog there, Murchison. "'A very valuable dog. "'He comes from fine stock on both sides, "'and it is a cross you don't often see. "'I never saw it, and I've seen all kinds of cross dogs.' Then Masset would drop in and walk around the dog admiringly for a few minutes and absorb his beauties. "'Murchison,' he would say, "'do you know what that dog is? "'That dog is a pure cross between a Siberian wolfhound and a Newfoundland. "'You treat that dog right, and you'll have a fortune in him. "'Why, a pure Siberian wolfhound is worth a thousand dollars. "'And a good, a really good Newfoundland, mind you, is worth two thousand.' and you've got both in one dog. That's $3,000 worth of dog. The next few months Fluff grew. He broadened out and lengthened and heightened, and every day or two Brownlee or Massette would discover a new strain of dog in him. They pointed out to Murchison all the marks by which he could tell the different kinds of dogs that were combined in Fluff, and every time they discovered a new one they held a sort of jubilee and bragged and swelled their chests they seemed to spend all their time thinking up odd and strange kinds of dog that fluff had in him brownlee discovered the traces of cuban bloodhound camp chotka hound beagle breg de bengal and tibet mastiff but massette first traced the stage hound, turcoman watchdog dachshund and harrier in him murchison not being a doggish man never claimed to have noticed any of these family resemblances and never said what he thought the dog really was until a month or two later when he gave it as his opinion that the dog was a cross between a wolf a Shetland pony and hyena it was about that time that fluff had to be chained he had begun to eat other dogs and children and chickens the first night murchison chained him to his kennel fluff walked a half a mile taking the kennel along and then only stopped because the kennel got tangled with a lamp post the man who brought him home claimed that Fluff was nearly asphyxiated when he found him, said he gnawed half through the lamppost, and that the gas had got in his lungs. But this was not true. Murchison learned afterwards that it was only a gasoline lamppost and a wooden one. "'If there were only some stags around this part of the country,' said Massette, "'the staghound strain in that dog would be mighty malleable. You could rent him out to everybody who wanted to go stag-hunting,' and you'd have a regular monopoly, because he is the only stag hound in this part of the country, and stag hunting would be popular, too, out here, because there are no game laws that interfere with stag hunting in this state. There's no closed season. People could hunt stags all the year round, and you'd have that dog busy every day of the year. Yes, sneered Brownlee, only there are no stags, and he hasn't any stag hound blood in him pity there are no dox in this state too isn't it then murchison could hire his dog at night too they hunt dogs at night don't they Masset? only there is no dox and blood in him either if there was and if there were a few dox, massette was mad yes he cried and you with your cuban bloodhound strain i suppose if it was the open season for cubans you'd go out with the dog and tree a few or put on snowshoes and follow the camp chat to his icy lair. Brownlee doesn't get mad easily. Murchison, he said. Leaving out Massette's dreary nonsense about stagehounds, I can tell you that dog would make the finest duck dog in the state. He's got all the points for a good duck dog, and I ought to know, for I have two of the best duck dogs that ever lived. All he needs is training, and if you train him right, you'll have a mighty valuable dog." "'But I don't hunt ducks,' said Murchison. "'And I don't know how to train even a lap dog. "'You let me attend to his education,' said Brownlee. "'I just want to show Massett here "'that I know a dog when I see one. "'I'll show Massette the finest duck dog he ever saw "'when I get through with Fluff.' "'So he went over and got his shotgun "'just to give Fluff his first lesson. "'The first thing a duck dog must learn "'is not to be afraid of a gun.' and um, brownlee said that if a dog first learned about guns right at his home he was not so apt to be afraid of them he said that if a dog heard a gun for the first time when he was away from home and in strange surroundings he was quite right to be surprised and startled but if he heard it in the bosom of his family with all his friends calmly seated about he would think it was a natural thing and accept it as such so Brownlee put a shell in his gun and Masset and Murchison sat on the porch steps and pretended to be uninterested and normal and Brownlee stood up and aimed the gun in the air. Fluff was eating a bone but Brownlee spoke to him and he looked up and Brownlee pulled the trigger. It seemed about five minutes before Fluff struck the ground. He jumped so high when the gun was fired and then he started north by northeast at about 60 miles an hour. He came back all right three weeks later but his tail was still between his legs brownley didn't feel the least discouraged he said he saw now that the whole principle of what he had done was wrong that no dog with any brains whatever could be anything but frightened to hear a gun shot off right in the bosom of his family that was no place to fire a gun he said fluff evidently thought the whole lot of us were crazy and ran in fear of his life thinking we were insane and might shoot him next he said the thing to do was to take the shotgun into its natural surroundings and let fluff learn to love it there he pictured fluff enjoying the sound of the gun when he heard it at the edge of the lake murchison never hunted ducks but as fluff was his dog he went with brownlee and of course massette went massette wanted to see the failure he said he wished stags were as plentiful as ducks and he would show brownlee fluff was a strong dog he seemed to have a strain of ox in him so far as strength went and as long as he saw the gun he insisted that he would stay at home but when brownlee wrapped the gun in brown paper so it looked like a big parcel from the meat shop the horse that they had hitched to the buckboard was able to drag fluff along without straining itself fluff was fastened to the rear axle with a chain when they reached Duck Lake, Brownlee untied Fluff and patted him, and then unwrapped the gun. Fluff gave one pained glance and made a six-mile run home in seven minutes, without stopping. He was home before Brownlee could think of anything to say, and he went so far into his kennel that Murchison had to take the boards off at the back to find him that night. "'That's nothing,' was what Brownlee said when he did speak. "'Young dogs are often that way. Gun fright. They have to be gun-broken. You come out tomorrow and I'll show you how a man who really knows how to handle a dog does the trick. The next day, when Fluff saw the buckboard, he went into his kennel, and they couldn't pry him out with the hoe-handle. He connected buckboards and guns in his mind, so Brownlee borrowed the butcher's delivery wagon, and they drove to Wild Lake. It was seven miles, but Fluff seemed more willing to go in that direction than toward Duck Lake he did not seem to care to go to duck lake at all now then said brownlee i'll show you the intelligent way to handle a dog i'll prove to him that he has nothing to fear and that i am his comrade and friend and at the same time he said i'll not have him running home and spoiling our day's sport so he took the chain and fastened it around his waist and then he sat down and talked to fluff like an old friend and got him in a playful mood then he had Murchison get the gun out of the wagon and lay it on the ground about twenty feet off. It was wrapped in brown paper. Brownlee talked to Fluff and told him what a fine sport duck hunting was, and then, as if by chance, he got on his hands and knees and crawled toward the gun. Fluff hung back a little, but the chain just coaxed him a little, too, and they edged up to the gun, and Brownlee pretended to discover it unexpectedly. "'Well, well,' he said, "'what's this?' "'Fluff nosed up to it and sniffed it, "'and then went at it as if it was Massette's cat. "'That Brownlee had wrapped a beefsteak around the gun, "'inside the paper, "'and Fluff tore off the paper and ate the steak, "'and Brownlee winked at Murchison. "'I declare,' he said, "'if here isn't a gun. "'Look at this, Fluff, a gun. "'Gosh, but we are in luck. "'Would you believe it?' That dog sniffed at the gun, and did not fear it in the least. You could have hit him on the head with it, and he would not have minded it. He never did mind being hit with small things like guns and axe handles. Brownlee got up and stood erect. You see, he said proudly, all a man needs with a dog like this is intelligence. A dog is like a horse. He wants his reason appealed to. Now, if I fire the gun, he may be a little startled but i have created a faith in me in him he knows there's nothing dangerous in a gun as a gun he knows i'm not afraid of it so he's not afraid he realizes that we are chained together and that proves to him that he need not run unless i run now watch brownlee fired the shotgun instantly he started for home he did not start lazily like a boy starting to the woodpile but went promptly and with a dash his first jump was only ten feet, and we heard him grunt as he landed, but after that he got into his stride and made fourteen feet each jump. He was bent forward a good deal in the middle, where the chain was, and in many ways he was not as graceful as a professional cinder-path track runner. But in running, the main thing is to cover the ground rapidly. Brownlee did that. Massette said it was a bad start, he said it was all right to start a hundred-yard dash that way but for a long-distance run a run of seven miles across country the start was too impetuous that it showed a lack of generalship and that when it came to the finish the affair would be tame but it wasn't brownlee said afterwards that there wasn't a tame moment in the entire seven miles it was rather more wild than tame he felt right from the start that the finish would be sensational unless the chain cut him quite in two and it didn't he said that when the chain had cut as far as his spinal column it could go no farther and it stopped and clung there but it was the only thing that did stop except his breath it was several years later that i first met brownlee and he was still breathing hard like a man who has just been running rapidly brownlee says when he shuts his eyes his legs still seem to be going the first mile was through underbrush and that was lucky for the underbrush removed most of brownlee's clothing and put him in better running weight but at the mile and a quarter they struck the road he said at two miles he thought he might be over the dog and maybe he had better stop but the dog seemed anxious to get home so he didn't stop there he said that at three miles he was sure the dog was overdoing and that with his knowledge of dogs he was perfectly able to stop a running dog in its own length if he could speak to it but he couldn't speak to this dog for two reasons one was he couldn't overtake the dog and the other was that all the speak was yanked out of him when they reached five miles the dog seemed to think they were taking too much time to get home and let out a few more laps of speed and it was right there that brownlee decided that fluff had some greyhound blood in him he said that when they reached the town he felt as if he would have been glad to stop at his own house and lie down for a while but the dog didn't want to and so they went on but that he ought to be thankful that the dog was willing to stop at that town at all the next town was twelve miles farther on and the roads were bad but the dog turned into murchison's yard and went right into his kennel when Murchison and Massette got home an hour or so later, after driving the horse all the way at a gallop, they found old Greg, the carpenter, prying the roof off the kennel. You see, Murchison had knocked the rear out of the kennel the day before, and so when the dog aimed for the front, he went straight through, and as Brownlee was built more perpendicular than the dog, Brownlee didn't quite go through he went in something like doubling up a dollar bill to put it into a thimble. I don't suppose anybody would want to double up a dollar bill to put it into a thimble, but neither did Brownlee want to be doubled up and put into the kennel. It was the dog's thought, so they had taken the kennel roof off. When they got Brownlee out, they laid him on the grass and covered him up with a porch rug, and let him lie there a couple of hours to pant, for that seemed what he wanted to do just then. It was the longest period Brownlee had ever spent awake without talking about dog. Murchison and Massette and old Greg and twenty-six informal guests stood around and gazed at Brownlee panting. Presently, Brownlee was able to gasp out a few words. "'Murchison!' he gasped. "'Murchison! "'If you just had that dog in Florence, "'or wherever it is they race dogs, "'you would have fortune!' He panted a while and then gasped out he's a great runner a phenomenal runner he had to pant more and then he gasped with pride but i wasn't three feet behind him all the way getting rid of fluff so after that murchison decided to get rid of fluff he told me that he had never really wanted a dog anyway but when a dog is sent all the way from new york anonymously with two dollars and eighty cent charges paid it is hard to cast the dog out into the cold world without giving it a trial. So Murchison tried the dog for a few more years, and at last he decided he would have to get rid of him. He came over and spoke to me about it, because I had just moved in next door. Do you like dogs? he asked, and that was the first conversation I ever had with Murchison. I told him frankly that I did not like dogs, and that my wife did not like them, and Murchison seemed more pleased than if I had offered him a thousand dollars. "'Now, I'm glad of that,' he said, "'for Mrs. Murchison and I hate dogs. "'If you do not like dogs, I will get rid of Fluff. "'I made my mind up several years ago to get rid of Fluff, "'but when I heard you were going to move into this house, "'I decided not to get rid of him "'until I knew whether you liked dogs or not. "'I told Mrs. Murchison that if we got rid of Fluff before you came, "'and then found out you loved dogs and owned one, "'you might take our getting rid of Fluff as a hint "'that your dog was distasteful to us "'and it might hurt your feelings. "'And Mrs. Murchison said that if you had a dog, "'your dog might feel lonely in a strange place "'and might like to have Fluff to play with "'until your dog got used to the neighborhood. "'So we did not get rid of him. "'But if you do not like dogs, "'we will get rid of him right away.' i told murchison that i saw he was the kind of neighbor a man liked to have and that it was kind of him to offer to get rid of fluff but that he mustn't do so just on our account i said that if he wanted to keep the dog he had better do so now that is kind of you said murchison but we would really rather get rid of him i decided several years ago that i would get rid of him but brownlee likes dogs and he took an interest in fluff and wanted to make a bird-dog of him so we kept fluff for his sake but now brownlee is tired of making a bird-dog of him he says fluff is too strong to make a good bird-dog and not strong enough to rent out as a horse and he is willing i should get rid of him he says he is anxious for me to get rid of him as soon as i can when i saw fluff i agreed with brownlee at first glance i saw that fluff was a failure as a dog and that to make a good camel he needed a shorter neck and more hump. But he had the general appearance of an amateur camel. He looked as if someone who had never seen a dog, but had heard of one, had started out to make a dog, and got to thinking of a camel every once in a while, and had tried to show me fluff that day, worked in parts of what he thought a camel was like, with what he thought a dog was like, and then, when the job was about done, had decided it was a failure, and had just finished it up anyway, sticking on the meanest and cheapest hair he could find, and getting most of it on the wrong side, too. But the cheap hair did not matter much. Murchison and Brownlee showed me the place where Fluff had worn most of it off the ridgepole of his back crawling under the porch. He tried to show me Fluff that day, but it was so dark under the porch I could not tell which was Fluff and which was simply underneathness of porch but from what brownlee told me that day i knew that fluff had suffered a permanent dislocation of the spirits he told me he had taken fluff out to make a duck-dog of him and that all the duck fluff was interested in was to duck when he saw a gun and that after he had heard the gun fired once or twice he had become sad and dejected and had acquired a permanently ingrown tail and an expression of face like a coyote but more mournful he had acquired a habit of carrying his head down and forward as if he was about to lay it on the headsman's block and knew he deserved that and more and the sooner it was over the better he couldn't even scratch fleas correctly brownlee said that when he met a flea in the road he would not even go around it but would stoop down like a camel to let the flea get aboard he was that kind of dog he was the most discouraging dog i ever knew the next day I was putting down the carpet in the back bedroom when in came Murchison. "'I came over to speak to you about Fluff,' he said. "'I'm afraid he must have annoyed you last night. I suppose you heard him howl?' "'Yes, Murchison,' I said. "'I did hear him. I never knew a dog could howl so loud and long as that. He must have been very ill.' "'Oh, no,' said Murchison cheerfully. "'That is the way he always howls.' that is one of the reasons i have decided to get rid of fluff but it is a great deal worse for us than it is for you the air inlet of our furnace is at the side of the house just where fluff puts his head when he howls and the register in our room is right at the head of our bed so his howl goes in at the inlet and down through the furnace and up the furnace pipes and it is delivered right in our room just as clear and strong as if he was in the room that is one reason I have fully decided to get rid of Fluff. It would not be so bad if we had only one register in our house, but we have ten. And when Fluff howls, his voice is delivered by all ten registers. So it is just as if we had ten Fluffs in the house at one time, and ten howls like Fluffs are too much. Even Brownlee says so. I told Murchison that I agreed with Brownlee perfectly. Fluff had a bad howl it sounded as if cruel fate with spikes on his shoes had stepped on fluff's inmost soul and then jogged up and down on the tenderest spot and fluff was trying to reproduce his feelings in vocal exercises it sounded like a cheap phonograph giving a symphony in the key of woe minor with a megaphone attachment and bad places in the record judging by his voice the machine needed a new needle but the megaphone attachment was all right End of Section 6 That Pup, Part 1